Good morning. Well, I counted. After I got to two, I figured we were good. <laughs> Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious day. We thank you for the beautiful view of the snow on the mountains, but still bright and sunny down here on the desert floor. Where we thank you for your Son, for the forgiveness of our sins, and for all that you've done for us. So Lord, we invite in the Holy Spirit today that we may learn more about you and we may come closer to you each and every day and each and every moment. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Andy's with us today. Good seeing you, Andy. All right, let's worship our Lord. You know, most of you know that I'm from the frozen tundra up in Wisconsin where there's probably, out of the 365 days, um, probably half of them are cloudy days. And I moved to Tucson, and it's like 20 days of clouds throughout the year. And the other day when it was raining, my neighbor said, what a nasty day. And I thought, you're missing it. <laughs> The sun is still shining. They looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Without the clouds, we wouldn't be shielded from the burning sun. Without the clouds, there'd be no lavish sunsets, no beneficial rains, no beautiful landscapes. The same is true with life's clouds. When hard times come, we easily get discouraged. But behind the clouds, God is still present and can use them to water our souls with unexpected blessings. Longfellow once wrote, Be still, my sad heart, and cease from repining. Behind the clouds, the sun is still shining. As God's people wandered in the wilderness, he declared, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud. Each of us experiences clouds in life, sometimes slight, sometimes dark and frightening. Whatever clouds you face today, ask Jesus, the light of the world, to help you look behind the cloud to see his glory and his plans for you. And the hope for today, help me, Lord, not to allow the clouds of the day preventing me from seeking your face. May I, like Moses, be bold enough to approach the thick darkness if that is where your presence is found. Oh, 
Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offering of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. If you'd like to stand with me, we'll read through Psalm 23. There's a copy in your bulletin or one on the screen. Did it come? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.
Chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout out from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. If you now join in the responsive reading. Arise, shine, for the light of the world has come. Darkness covers the earth and its people. The radiance of God's light burns away its shadows, illuminates the smallest corner, and heralds in the start of a new dawn. Her hearts no longer fear, souls might be set free. And sisters shall follow brother, nations shall follow nation. And kings and princes bow down all for the one who comes to reign. Arise, shine, for the light of the world is come. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is one it is such a wondrous gift that you've you've given us of life, of experiences, of of free choice, of the ability to worship you. Lord, you also call for us to give back from, the, from all the things that you have blessed us with. 
So Lord, as the, as the gifts we've give, given, please bless them that they may help others come to know you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Andy. Happy New Year. Happy New Year with all that it offers and entails. Let's open in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for listening to our prayers and hearing our prayers. But the Lord Jesus has indeed directed us to call you Father. And so we come this morning and we pray and ask, Father, that as we look at your word, that you would touch our hearts, that you would change our very inward spiritual being, that you would help us to come before you in such a way that as we look at the new year, as we look at 2022, that we would see it as it were with fresh eyes, and that we would see it in the sense that we draw near to you and we seek to draw near to you. And this message is just one small part of how we might be able to do that even better. So we come and ask your blessing upon us. Blessing means your favor and your goodness and your mercy and your grace showered upon us not just right now today, but in the year of 2022. We come and pray and ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start looking at verses 22 down through 32. Um, I'm working with a new Bible today. I tried to get one with a little bigger print. Yeah. Don't know why I'd need that. I'm sure that, but I'm sure that almost everybody here understands that to be true. Anyway, if you have an insert and you want to read along with me this morning, look at your insert to help get us started a little bit. In Romans 8:29. It's clear that God informs us that he wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, of course, this is not talking about physical image, but it's talking about uh, our actions and attitudes and that we are to be changed. We are to become and act like Jesus. And how do we do that? At least a part of the answer lies in Ephesians 4, 22, and 23. As we come, you know, in the new year and you try to think about how do we draw closer to God, how do we be more spiritual, if you want to put those words on it, we, we come to look at that and you say, well, well, how do we do that? You might talk about it and look at it from the stand back, standpoint of prayer. You might look at it from, say, the standpoint of Bible reading or some other ways that you might look at it. But as we, we come and look at this particular section of Scripture, it gives us some pretty good information about how we can be conformed to the image of Christ, how we can look more like him. If you just look maybe across your page or wherever it is uh, in your Bible located, Ephesians 4.13 reads about until we again attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Again, it's talking about us looking like him. Well, how do we begin to look like him? Well, part of the answer is found in the passage that we're talking about this morning. The title of the sermon is 
Off with the old, on with the new. Off with the old, on with the new. The scripture is going to say almost exactly, precisely that. If we look at, read verse 22, it says, Paul writes that in reference to your former manner of life, you put off the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. It talks about us, probably many of us, a number of us came to believe in Jesus when we were small. But if you are a person who came to believe and trust in Jesus as an adult, and you look back at your previous life, you can see your former life and realize that most of the people that Paul is writing and talking to are people who became to believe in Jesus as adults, as grown-up people. So we come and we, we realize that and we understand that he says, put off the former manner of life, lay it aside, because it's being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. In other words, if a person's not a Christian, they're not getting better. I need to tell you that. I'm not saying they're getting radically worse, that they've uh, become terrible in some way, but really, inwardly and in everything, they're not getting better. They're heading down the wrong direction. There, when we talk about habits, I'd like to admit that I am a creature of habit also. When I'm getting dressed, I put on my left sock in the morning. As far as I know, I've been doing that since I was old enough to learn how to dress myself. Then I put on the right sock. I put on the left shoe. I, I finally put on the right shoe. I am a creature of habit. As far as I know, I do that just about the same every day. Before I go out the door, just like my daddy taught me, I put my wallet in my left hip pocket. I know some of you men, your, your dad told you to put it in your right hip pocket. Doesn't matter, you're still a creature of habit. I'll bet you do it that way too. I put my keys in my right front pocket and I'm ready to walk out the door. At that point in time, I am truly a creature of habit. There's a story told about a lady who, whose name was Mrs. Smith, and she said, I have finally broke my husband of biting his fingernails and chewing them right down to the quick. And the other person that was listening said, well, how did you do that? She says, I hide his teeth. We are creatures of habit. We do things in, out of habit. And the whole idea of this sermon is that Paul is telling us to put off the old habits, the ones that belong to the old man, the old nature, and put on new habits. Put on, and he's going to tell us specifically what they are. Anyway, I want to tell you about a friend I had. When I was about 12 or 13 years old, I had a friend who was an adult friend, but he took an interest in me and he would talk to me just like almost to another adult and so on. And one of the things that, that he talked to me about and, and uh, taught, taught me was his occupation. He was a coal miner. He was a coal miner and when he came home from the mine, his face was black. His hands was black. He, was, he almost looked like an African-American. He was so black. And he, his clothing would have coal dust on him. He would come home, and he would take off the old, dirty clothes, coal... Uh, I don't know, the, the coal had just sifted into his clothing. He would take that off, and his wife would take and wash those clothes right away at, at the very moment. So he would take off 
And after a shower, he would put on clean clothes, and he'd like, at that point, would look like everyone else. So anyway, we, we come and we talk about putting off and putting on. The old self, it says, is being corrupted. As I said, it's not getting better. It's being corrupted by deceitful lusts. And deceitful lusts might not be exactly what we would initially think of. I can give you an example, I think. I knew a doctor. He was a GYN doctor. And every once in a while, if he could get away with it, so to speak, he would do an abortion. Now, his wife was Christian, and he knew she did not like it for him to do an abortion. So every once in a while, he would sort of sneak one in. And I would submit to you that at that point, he was following deceitful lusts. He thought he was doing something good. He had a passion for doing that as he could work it in and slip it in. He finally became a Christian. He came to believe in the Lord Jesus through a series of circumstances and events. It was a very short time, very short, before he turned completely. Instead of wanting to do an abortion, he now made it very plain, clear and plain that any woman who had started on the road to having an abortion, he would help her reverse that if it were possible. If it were medically a situation where he could help reverse it, he would do that. He changed very quickly and very completely. So he had put off the abortion part and he had put on uh, following Christ and saving life instead of taking it. According to some studies, they say that in order to change a habit, that it takes at least 21 days, it takes three weeks, or maybe four weeks. Now, I, I do have a stepson who used to chew snuff, and he hasn't done that for 10 or 15 years, but he says every time he walks by the store and he sees that can, he looks at it and he thinks he'd like to go right to it. So maybe some habits take longer. But anyway, as we look at that, there is a put off and there's a put on. As we look at uh, verse 24, it says, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God which has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. When we think of that, that God's Spirit comes and works in our hearts and our lives, and he brings something new to us. He brings holiness. He brings truth to us. And so we come, we see the, the righteousness and truth stated in verse 24. If you're doing your outline, if you have that sheet of paper and you choose to do that, um, it says in verse 25, therefore, put aside falsehood. Speak truth with one another. Uh, speak truth, each one of you. Um, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So what is the habit? It says we're to put off lying. We're to speak truth. We put off, we put on. In other words, we're putting off the old habit, we're putting on a new habit. Put off lying, falsehood, put on truth-telling. Put off the lying, put on truth-telling. June and I had been married a very short period of time. I'm guessing that this happened in the first year, at least first year and a half. And of course, when we were going together, we talked about how important it was to be truthful and, and to speak truth and be honest with each other. 
and things like that. One day I came home and there was something that I had to say that I knew June would not be happy with, that she wasn't gonna like what it was I had to say. Can I possibly remember what that was at this point? I cannot. But I came home and I started to talk. And I realized there was a lie coming out of my mouth. I was starting to say something that was untrue. Uh, I stopped right in mid-sentence. And I went back and said, I need to restate that. Uh, I need to say that again. And I came back and I told her the truth. And as near as I remember, she was not happy. She was not happy with that. But still, I had spoken the truth. We, June and I, worked very hard at being truth-tellers to tell exactly the way it was to one another. And then I want you to notice it says on there, in 25, it says, at the end of it, it says, for we are members of one another. You know what that means? It means you can't lie to anybody else in this church. It's talking about people who are members. It's talking about people who are one another, close to one another in the body of Christ. Can't lie to somebody else in the church. Now, I'm not saying that it suggests that you should start lying to your unbelieving neighbor. It doesn't mean that. We should say truth to them also. But in this verse, it's specifically saying we must speak truth with others who are within the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at number two, if you will. It says we are to put off unrighteous anger and put on right anger. Read with me verses 26, 27. It says be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Literally, it means don't give the devil a place. We'll talk about that in one second. It tells us that we are to put off unrighteous anger. The part we want to put off is anger that is not good. Wait, you're saying there is good anger? Yes, and we know that for a fact. We know that because the Lord Jesus, we're told, was angry. You may remember he went into the synagogue and there was a man there who had a hand that was withered. And so they were watching to see if Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath day because it was the Sabbath. And Jesus called the man forward. And he said to the Pharisees who were watching him very closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And he said to them, is it right to do good on the Sabbath? Or to do evil. And they would say nothing. They were silent. And it says Jesus looked around at them and he was angry at them because of their, their hardness of heart. They cared nothing about the man. They cared about the rules that they themselves had made up. Not that God had made up, but that one's the rules they had made up. So Jesus was angry. So we know that all anger is not sinful. We come and look at this verse, and it starts out, it must be talking about anger that is not sinful because it says, be angry and do not sin. What is it saying to us? It's saying that as far as right anger is concerned, uh, it is saying that the right anger that we would would do would be about something that God would be angry about. If either a man or woman were to come home and they were to find someone else in bed with their partner, would they be angry? They should be angry. They should be angry. There have been about six million abortions done in this country. Should we be angry? We should be angry. Not that I'm saying we should go hurt someone, but we should be angry enough that we're concerned about that. That when you vote at the ballot box, you're not voting for somebody who believes abortion's a good thing and I think we should do more of it. 
we come to the unrighteous anger, uh, James 1.18 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. It says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man, note that, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Whenever you're just mad because you're mad, it doesn't mean that that means that's, in many cases, unrighteous anger. And then it says, don't give the devil a place. I'd like to translate that or illustrate it and say, I think it's saying, don't give the devil an inch. Don't let him. Because if you go to bed angry, really mad, and you sit there and stew about it, you can get even more angry. You can think of things about somebody else that is not very kind or helpful. So it says, deal with it that day. Insofar as possible, deal with anger right off. In verse 28, it talks about stealing. Let's read 28. It says, but he who steals, by the way, the Greek word there is klepto. Uh, and it's the word we get our kleptomaniac from. Uh, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. What are we to put off? Stealing. Should be no Christian stealing. We would say, well, surely uh, we're mature Christians, we don't do that. Well, we've all seen on TV the shoplifting that has occurred. If you've watched the TV in the last month in the news, you see uh, stealing that occurs at shoplifting. That, that is stealing. Uh, what about reporting to the IRS? You have to report the, the correct and true amount if you're a believer. Uh, we have to um, not renege on our debts. If we're Christians, we must pay our debts. Uh, and if we renege on a debt and don't pay it, that is a form of stealing. If a person is a, a owner of a business and they pay their employees just enough to get by, a very small amount, just enough to keep things operating and not paying a fair wage, that, in a sense, is, is stealing. Anyway, it talks about not stealing. It says, uh, verse 28, he must do something else. The one who used to steal has to put that off, but what does he put on? He puts on honest labor. He puts on honest labor. Everyone who can and is able should work. But not only that, not only should a person work, but also a person should share with a person in need. He should share with the one who doesn't have enough, who, who is on the edge and having problems. And so the believer should in fact share with that. Let me read you a verse out of Luke where Jesus says something that is very interesting. Jesus in, in Luke 14 says this. Is Luke 14 still in my Bible? Yes. Yes, it, it's still here. Luke 14, Jesus says this. Uh, he talks in uh, 14:13. He says, when you give a reception, invite the poor. He says they're crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they don't have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. In other words, he's saying that 
you don't want to invite the people who can pay you back and make you gifts and get, get you all set up in a good way. He says, invite the poor. Invite the poor. If we turn and look at, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit and look at uh, Ephesians 4.30. Uh, a, a verse that will uh, take your uh, breath away almost. Ephesians 4.30 says, and I know I've jumped ahead of verse, but it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. It talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. At least one of the commentators, two of the commentators I looked at, believe this is what they call an anthropomorphism. An anthropomorphism, that's a 50-cent theological word, isn't it? Anthropomorphism. So what it's saying is, what they are saying is, well, God, since he is God, can't really, these things, what says that he is grieved, or it says back in the Old Testament that he wishes he had not done something. If it says something like that, that's anthropomorphic. It means it's just so we can identify with it, it doesn't mean that it's for real. I am more inclined, at least personally, when I look at the scriptures, to take them directly straight on and say, if it says that the Holy Spirit is grieved, I take that, that grief is something to do with sorrow, sadness, emotional pain, and that we human beings can actually make the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to be grieved, seems to be what this scripture is saying. At least I take it face. How do we not grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, it's going to talk about our speech and our language. I should add in here, it's worth noting that the Holy Spirit, it says, is the one who seals us for the day of redemption. If you're here this morning and you believe in the Lord Jesus and you trust him with your heart, then it says that the Holy Spirit has put a seal on you and that the day of redemption, it's going to be good. But you're sealed till that day of redemption because the Holy Spirit also loves you and cares about you. Okay, let's uh, look back now and move back from 30. Let's look at verse 29 and 31. Where again it tells us, put off. Let me tell you what it tells you to say to put off. It says, put off rotten words. That, the very word there, I know it says in most of our Bibles, we take a look at it and it says, unwholesome words. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification, building up, if you will, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. We come and we look at the word rotten, and we fill it in there and say rotten words. The actual Greek word refers to rotten fruits, rotten vegetables, spoiled food. And that's what it means. So God is saying, through Paul, he's saying, do not use words that are unwholesome. Don't use rotten words to one another. In other words, use words that are going to build up, that are going to encourage. Okay, if we look at uh, verse drop down more and look at verse 31. It tells us, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, put off, along with all malice. And then it says, be kind to one another, put on, being kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. We come and we look at those, those terrible words, 
we see the, the words that, uh, where it says that bitterness, that's like a sharp tongue. It talks about wrath. Wrath is wild rage where a person flies off the handle. Anger, deep internal smoldering anger that just sits there. It just sits there ready to go like a furnace that's being stroked. Clamor means actually yelling. The anger has gotten to the point where you're screaming and shouting. Slander means ongoing defamation. Uh, I can think of uh, cases where those who are on TV, both uh, liberal and conservative on TV, I think they slander other people. They actually keep on talking about them in such a way that is hurtful. Malice is a person who has a heart that wants to hurt somebody else, that wants to nail them. Apostle Paul's saying, put that off. And what does he want us to put on? He wants us to put on kindness. Romans 2, 4 tells us that God is kind. God is kind even to the person who doesn't believe. It says that God is kind with the intention of leading them to repentance. It also says that we are to be tender-hearted. You may remember, excuse me, you may remember there was a leper who came to the Lord Jesus. A leper came, and he says, Lord, he says, I know that if you are willing, you can heal me. And what did Jesus respond? He said, I am willing. And he healed the man right there on the spot. Then lastly it says that we would be tender-hearted, forgiving each other. How? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. How has God forgiven you? Has God forgive you like 98% and then said, 2% is not forgiven. 2% I'm holding you against you. God doesn't do that, does he? He says, when I forgive you, I forgive you completely. We come and look and it says, we are to forgive each other. We're to forgive each other just as God has forgiven us. Meaning, Completely. Look at your application. A decision. A decision if you want to be conformed to the image of Christ this year. That's a pretty good decision. That's beyond a resolution. But if you say that to yourself and say, I really look forward to being more conformed to the image of Christ in my attitudes and my actions, in 2022. It's a spiritual decision. Then how do you keep up with that decision? Well, I think the way you keep up with that decision is in regarding maybe a review every month or so. How is my put off and my put on doing? Am I taking those bad habits and putting them off? Am I taking good habits and putting them on? I'd like to finish with an illustration. Uh, this illustration has true, true illustration. Uh, at the Art Institute of Chicago, they had some uh, paintings, uh, a large number of paintings. Someone had passed away. And a number of the paintings. And one of the paintings was a chalk drawing of an upraised hand. Some thought maybe like in blessing, when it was an upraised hand. Well, finally they came and reviewed some of these uh, paintings, and somebody had thought, well, maybe it was um, done by a, an assistant to Raphael. And I don't know much about art, I'll tell you that right now. I'm not sure if I know exactly who Raphael is. If you showed me a picture of him, I'm not sure. I would know, but I do know, I've read and heard that he is a great artist. 
And so anyway, the, they showed this picture of the hand to a scholar named Conrad Oberhuber. And he looked at it and said, I think that's from Raphael himself. I think he did it. So they showed it to other experts and so on. And the chalk drawing became an invaluable part of the Art Institute's collection because it was the only original Raphael they owned and one of only 12 Raphael's originals in North America. Uh, the value of a picture depends on who created it. The same is true of a person. When we, re we realize that we are fashioned by God, and not only fashioned by God, but fashioned in his image, are worth skyrockets. As God's handy, handiwork, our value exceeds all others. Well, let me suggest to you, not only are we in the, the image of God, but we have the opportunity to grow more like God, to grow more in that image and look more and more like the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we stand at the threshold of a new year. And we would ask, Lord, that you would help us that through the writings that Paul has given us, one little thing about habits, to put off certain habits, put on others. Help us to do that through this year. And hopefully, we look, Lord, at ourselves at the end of 2022, and we see ourselves as more like Christ at that point than we were at the beginning. Come and bless us. Work in our hearts and our lives. Help us to lay aside those things that displease you. Help us to put on the things that you desire and want us to do. We come and pray and ask this all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. You know, I usually try to just say a little something before we have the honor of taking communion. And Andy said it so perfectly, you know. I was thinking of, of the new year and, and resolutions and, and, you know, was it the same resolutions that we had last year? Or, or you know, are we going to do better and how are we going to do better? And, you know, and Andy answered them all in uh, scripture, off with the old and on with the new. You want to be more like, like God? You want to be um, more spiritual? Does, does that mean more Bible study? Does it, does it mean maybe? Maybe not. For me, it's more quiet time, asking God to speak to me um, as I spend time not necessarily as I'm driving, but, you know, that's always a good idea, you know. But um, it's, it's a discipline, and it's every day to see a difference. I just loved your message. Off with the old and on with the new. This is a new year. And, and um, our song is Just As I Am. And so we'll be singing that. And just because we come as we are doesn't mean we have to stay that way, you know. He would like us to, to change, so.
save the, the cup to come around this way. When they took the bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And do this in remembrance of me. is the new covenant and my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes thank you Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words today, and that each day we should try to get a little bit better. We can't do it all at once. We can come to you each day, and we can maybe sin a little bit less each day. And Lord, we ask you for your help, that we, that we, can, we will slip, we will fall, but you know you will, you will be there to pick us up and to lead us forward. We thank you for that, Lord. We lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with us till we meet again. By his counsel's guide uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you, God be with us till we meet again. Go in peace.